Don't be scared. Always come behind me. There's no fear in perfect love, Mikey. All right. You guys ready to get in the word? Everybody good? Don't want anyone hungry. That would be a shame. You all have a good week? You all happy for your mom? Yeah, aren't you happy for your mom? My first Mother's Day without a mom. You know what I heard her say? Quit whining and go preach. (laughs) No, my mom was a a spiritual warrior, so uh, it's good. I got got a, a memory thing this morning on Facebook. You know, they do the memory things, right? So it was 2010, my mom had messaged me because we were, me and my mom would always talk about all the prophetic end time stuff together. So if anything would ever happen in Israel, it would be like, you know, crazy. And so, you know, be like, oh, did you see her that, you know, in the temple and all this stuff and, you know, kind of just for fun and stuff. And uh, she put on there, she messaged and said, you know, Virginia to Doug and said, hey, we should, my CMA, the church that she went to, they're going to Israel and man, we should go over there and who cares? Let's just charge it and go. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny, but my mom was actually way more financial or responsible than that, but she's the one that taught me to stay out of debt, because debt is no good. Amen? Amen. Hey, so moms are awesome, and so thankful for um, all you moms, and uh, you know, it's interesting, because today I want to talk about the heart, right? I want to talk about your heart today, and it's a great subject, because you know, usually when I pray over couples in church, I pray over the, 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 the wife or the mom, and I always say, Lord, I just pray for so-and-so as she's the heart of the home, the, the essential, the, the, the person that just really makes the whole thing complete. And, you know, you can't really worship God without a good heart. In fact, you can get up and you can come next week and you can sing a song and it might be one of your favorites and... You can sing it, and you might think you're worshiping, but until your heart is in alignment with God and your heart is pure before God, you're just speaking out words. But when your heart comes into alignment and it's completely surrendered to Him, when your heart becomes yielded to Him, then your worship can explode. As we were worshiping, I was like, I was like Lord, come on, because I'm always praying for more. Come on, Lord, more kick our butts spiritually, you know, but be nice, but still kick our butts, you know, take us as far as you can, Lord, without killing us, right, you know, come on, stretch us, we need you, we can't produce this on our own, we can't do a bunch of stuff to make it be like we want it, we need you, the person, Christ, here in our midst, we need you and more of you and more of your manifested uh, glory here, God, we need it, because we can't do it on our own, and I just heard him whisper and say, Get everyone to yield their hearts to me and it'll happen. So, so, you know, if you think about that, if we could really truly come to uh, gatherings, and and this this is not for gatherings, this is for your life, but as, as your heart so yields over to God and is submitted and surrendered to him, so his glory will shine forth out of your being and touch people and heal people and the more in alignment you get with God and the more your heart is surrendered, the more God can shine out of you. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the heart. You know, Jesus said, what did he say to do with the light? He said, go on a hill, you know, and he said, cover it up. 
Don't let it shine. <laughs> he said, go on that hill. He said, shine your light before your immediate family and church friends. No, before the whole world, so that what? All men might what? See your what? Your good works, right? And give what? Glorify your Father in heaven. And I want you to think about that process. A lot of us get stuck on doing good works. I'm a Christian. Got to shine my light. So I, I got to do a good work because I got to have people see that. So I'm really focused on do, 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 perform, perform, perform. Got to, got to, got to. And if you really want to study that concept of shining your light, which we're going to look at today, you're going to see that if you really want to shine your light, there's less focus on what you're doing and more on who you're being, right? There's more focus, less focus on what you're trying to perform than what you're trying to get your heart in alignment with God and, and to surrender and yield. Because really, guys, Christian life is about a yielded heart. The Christian life is about you surrendering all your rights, all your dreams, everything that makes you you, giving that all to God. If you want to gain your life, you've got to, right? So that heart, what I want to talk about today. You know, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, I want to encourage you, it's online. Go listen to it. Um, it's important as the first thing for our series. And it also had some good things for our church as a whole, as a family, that I want you to hear and, uh, you know digest it. And if you have questions, talk to me. If you're mad, come talk to me. I love talking to mad people. That's one of my favorite things as pastor is talking to people that are, are upset and don't agree with me. That's my joy, right? D, it's my joy. And uh, so we talked about ships. Have you decided what type of shipmate you want to be? Huh? We talked about a cruise boat. I know a lot of us would like to go on a cruise now. And we talked about the slave ship and we talked about the rescue ship. And I don't know about you, but where I'm headed as a Doug Dossie personally and as the pastor of this church is for a rescue ship. I'm going to be pushing you, training you, challenging you to be all that you can be so that we can work together on this ship so that we are ready and able to rescue people from sure death and separation from God. People are in the water. They are drowning. You have neighbors, friends, co-workers, schoolmates, family members that are drowning right now while you sit there and get your Bible study done. While you attend church, you have friends right now that are taking in salt water and about to go under unless you show up. It is your responsibility and my responsibility to go out and preach the good news and throw out the life uh, donut things, whatever they're called, preserves, Right? We're to throw those out and then with a rope and pull them in. And then most churches, summer churches are good at pulling people in, but we need to be a church that can not only pull people in and give the gospel to them, but that can revive them and help them and grow them. Amen? You with me? Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's your mandate. That's our mandate. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 4, he talked about, remember when he went into the synagogue and he was reading from Isaiah? And he said, this scripture has just been fulfilled right in front of your eyes. Yep. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the people tied up and in prison, a recovery to the sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you understand, and you have to grasp this as a believer, that when Jesus says thing like that, something like that, and we, we, our, our minds want to wrap around it, we want to focus and say, oh yeah, that's Jesus. He's the man. And he is. But we kind of put him to the, to, a, to the side or up on a pedestal, which he should be in a way, but, but consciously we say, that's him. He does all that. And I'm over here and I don't have, I just got to you know, try to do this. No, when Jesus makes proclamations like this, he said, all authority in heaven has been given to me, right? Yeah. Now you go therefore. What did he do? He just transferred all the things that he did over to you and said, now, did you see my life? You've read the gospels. You've learned the stories. So now as I've done, I want you to go do the same. And you're going to actually do greater things than I did because it's going to be in measurable ways because why? I'm going to my father and I'm going to be right at his right hand and I'm going to empower you and give you all that you need to go do greater things than me and these signs will follow you that believe, right? Are you with me? So authority has been given to Christ because he came and he died and he fulfilled the law for you and paid your price and ransomed you out of the pit, right? Amen. So that's been done that's a done deal, right? And so he said, all authority now is mine because he accomplished the task. Even though the a couple nights before, he's like, God, is there any other way out of this? And Jesus said, no, not if you want all authority. You've got to trust me, right? Now he's at this point of the cross. I have all authority. Now you, D, go. She's like, no, don't call me out. Debbie, go. Dale, you go. Therefore, in my name, as an ambassador out to the world, and you preach what I preached. So, technically speaking, by law, you could say, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The people that are spiritually poor, that don't know God, that are lost, right? He sent me. Did Jesus send you? Did God send Jesus? Did Jesus send you? Then God sent you. Are you with me? Same, same concept. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's your mandate, right? This is what you can say about your ministry. And so I want you to know that as a rescue boat, we need to have that mindset that we're not just doing this for the captain of the boat. We're doing this because this is who we are. Right? A lot of us, oh, and it's great. I want you to serve Jesus, but you've got to have a bigger mind than this. You've got to have a bigger vision than this. You're not just that. You're no longer slaves. You're called a friend of God. You're his son and heir. Like, you've got to be doing this not because Jesus wants me to do it. No, you're on the same team. You're doing this because it's who you are now. You're a new creature. The old has passed, the new has come. You're new in Christ. There's a new person in you, right? You've been filled with his spirit, right? This is you, God. You, this is your vessel. I'm going to do your will. Are you with me? Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. All right. Good. Notify your face with a smile because that will, okay. Or, or you just don't like the news, so whatever. <laughs> That's okay. 
you know, I need a little encouragement too, right? Yeah, thank, thank you, Dee, for smiling. Appreciate the big smile. So I want you to think, shish, boom, ba. Um, I want you to think of uh, some people in your life that maybe are making it a struggle for your life. So think of someone at work. You know, I know, Jen, you can think of a student or two that maybe struggles. I want you to think of a family member that's just tough to deal with or maybe someone in your workplace, you know, that's, you know, family, whoever. And I want you to think about, I want you to think about, um, yeah, just Mark just came to my mind as a person for, <laughs> just for me, just for me. Um, but I want you to think about someone that is in your life causing and stirring up some trouble right now and just, it just been a trial for a while and I just want you to think about that person and, and I want you to think, what would it be like if they were just out of the way or left or, or the problem was solved or that issue wasn't there? Just, and just, if you think about it, just in your notes, just you don't have to write down, you can write a fake name, but just think about them. I want you to think of a few people in your mind right now. So think of them, picture their face. Don't get mad. Don't start getting worked up in the, in the room here. But uh, think of that person maybe that hurt you or whatever. And you think about, man, that they really... Someone that's maybe distracting you in your life today. They're just distracting. They're, they're hard. You're trying. You're trying to be godly, but they're just distracting you. And I want you to think, what would it be like if they weren't in the way anymore? Some some people look at me kind of nervously, like, "What are you doing, man? Like, what are you planning?" So I, I know everyone's everyone got a picture. It's pretty easy, you know. It takes seconds, right? I want to say this, I want to say, uh, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Those people that you just thought of, they're not your problem. In fact, no one in this room is, is your problem, in your family. There's no person, no flesh that is in the way of you becoming and doing what God has called you to do. And if you're too focused on someone and some relationship, some person, then your focus is off. The Bible tells us that our our battle is not against flesh and blood. But our battle, our warfare, we're in a series called I'm Declaring War. So we've got to determine who we're fighting, right? Who are we fighting against? Well, it's not against these people maybe that you wanted to write their name in or thought about, or man, if they would just leave me alone or if they would just get their act together. I mean, how many marriages have I seen over the years that, you know, if the other one could get their act together, the marriage would work, you know? Been hearing that from Craig for 20 years now, you know? Just kidding. I know, I shouldn't be telling the secrets, but no. It's always with, with man and with, with uh, our culture and, and just being human, we're always looking to blame something else. But if we really want to be good people on the, on the ship, of the rescue ship, we've got to really understand who we're fighting against and what we're fighting for, right? So we've got to understand, number one, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's not our spouse. It's not that person. But our battle is against... Um, principalities and powers of darkness. So there is a spiritual war, and you can't negate the fact that you are fighting 
and warfaring against a kingdom of darkness. You're warfaring and you're fighting. If there is a fight and a battle going on in your life, which is there, is anyone going through a battle or a, a, a fight right now in, in one way or another? No one? Really? Gosh, okay. I got two hands up. All right. So, you know, if you're, if you're not, if whatever you're fighting, you are fighting against a principality and power of hell whether it be manifest directly or indirectly through them does not make any difference. The source of that battle is evil. And that evil wants to keep you from experiencing God in your life. And so that evil is going to lie to you, trick you, deceive you, do whatever is necessary so that you, your eyes cannot be open to who and whose you are and what your destiny is, and what God's created in you to do good works. He, he, they don't want you to see the spiritual weaponry that you have in your being that God has given you to battle. They don't want you to discover your real identity. Because once in declaring war, you need to understand that you need to declare, who am I fighting against? And know that in your battles right now that it's not against people. It's not against, against this world. It's not against the government or the politicians or Republicans or Democrats or whatever, it's not against them, although we all want to say our two cents on that. But the real root issue is people's hearts, and what's in people's hearts is what I want to talk about today. You know, as we think about what we're fighting for, I want you to think about the story of Joshua in the Promised Land. And I want to go through three quick things about what happened there and how they viewed their warfare, how they viewed what are they fighting against you know, and the promised land is a great picture because you have to picture your promised land. You have to picture, you know, here's the Israelites. They've been homeless. They've been slaves. They've gotten free. They're wandering in the desert. They're trying to find their identity, and they have this great promise that they're waiting for to inherit this land and to take possession of the land. And each person, as you've read, right, so-and-so got this area from this border up to this tree to the rock over here to the river, right? Remember that time reading? Or did you skip that? Yeah, somebody you skipped it, I know. I mean, I sped read it, but I didn't skip it. Um, so everyone's looking for their portion. And so we think, as the Old Testament being the storybook for the New Testament, we say, what can we learn from the Old Testament picture of Israel going in and fighting for their promised land and, and that whole picture because we have to look at it in similar ways. So let's do that. So let's look at God's warning even before they got into the promised land. In Numbers 33, God's giving instruction for this conquest of Canaan, right? He's giving instruction and he's setting them up. He's giving them faith. He's giving them a promise. He's telling them that I have land for you. It's already yours because it's all mine anyway and I'm giving it to you. And so in Numbers 33, chapter, or verse 50, in Numbers 33, 50, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Underline that. Destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess. Is that past tense? 
I have given you. I have given you. So whose land is it? It's their land. He has given it, verse 54, you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families to the larger you shall give larger and to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. Um, Therefore, everyone's inheritance shall be uh, whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers, verse 55. But if you do, listen, verse 55, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then... It shall be that those who you, God or you, God, no, this is you, people, you let remain, so it shall be that if you let them remain, they shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Wow. So, and I want you to get a picture. There's a lot to learn in that section, but I want to focus on a few things. Number one, you have to view the promised land as something that belongs to you already, that it is yours, and God wants you to inherit through going in and dispossessing a, a group or an entity that's there before you, okay? And then also, you need to look at your heart now. Your heart is part of this promised land, right? Right? So because, you know, we want to think of material things, right? Oh, I'm going to get my possession. I'm going to be a millionaire and have all boats, and I'm going to, have, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian, possess my Rolls Royce, man. I'm, you know, we want to go flesh on it, but really, if we go in the spirit and we say, what is God really saying to us today in regards to the story of, hey, so Israel, how am I relating to this Israel possessing their land, but here I am 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 years later, and, and God's telling me, I have a land, I have an inheritance that I need to possess, but, uh, you know, I... I'm renting right now, so I don't have any land. Where's my, you know what I mean? You know, so we have to focus on what is that. And I believe that the promised land for us today is all the promises of God are yes and amen. I believe that the promised land today is God's word is true no matter what. And whatever God says that you can have and walk in and be is who you can have walk in and be. And that you have to take that by spiritual force. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. So now, in the Old Testament, who are some of the ites? Michelle, who are some of the ites? Gotcha, didn't I? Yeah. You can just make up stuff. Banana nights, chariots, they're all, who, who cares, right? So those people that were actually people that were, and, and so we go in and we say, oh my gosh, God said, kill every one of them? How mean is God in the Old Testament, man? He said, kill everybody, right? Well, today we know that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and power. So now today, we're not fighting a person. We're not looking to take, go back to Israel and take out people, you know? As much as people don't like Iran and all those, we're... They're not our enemy, guys. Right? They're not. It's hell. And so for you today, your enemy right now is a spiritual kingdom of darkness that is possessing your land and saying, no, we want you. We're not giving up. This is our land. And it's the land of your heart. It's the land of your will. It's the land of who makes you who you are. And you've got to fight for that. And so you have to have the, the mindset to say, no, this heart 
my life and the promises of God and God's glory working through me and flowing through me is my inheritance. I have the right, right, because of Jesus, legally I have the right, to have God fully flowing out of me and through me in every way possible. Emotionally, physically, every way. Every way he can provide for you. Financially, a home, everything God will has a promise to provide for you in life. All life and godliness, all that that encompasses. You've got to have the mindset that that's what you're fighting for. Because some of us only want to fight for certain things. We get in there and as we, want to, we think we're spiritual too by doing this. And oh, I just want to fight for the spiritual part because there's nothing else. It's all spiritual now. There's no physical at all. God doesn't really care about the physical anymore. He does. He cares about it all. He cares about your life. He cares more than you than the flowers and all that. Come on. Are you with me? He loves you. He cares about every part of your life, the small things to you and the big things. But God's warning here was that you need to make sure that when you go into this battleground, right, the battleground of your, your mind, your will, your emotions, the soul realm where your heart is, you've got to be determined that you're going to take that ground and you're going to kick out every foreigner that does not belong in there out. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, so you have to have that mindset. So as we continue in Canaan, we go down to the people's apathy, and I want you to check this out in Joshua 13. This is later. They've already been in the promised land. They've, been, they've conquered a bunch of stuff. They've had some good victories. A lot of us Christians, we've been Christians. We've gotten saved. We've beaten up Jericho. We got saved. We raised our hand. We're reading our Bible. We're loving God. We're doing our best, right? So these are Christians right now, right, to us. They're, they're doing their thing, but Joshua says this in Joshua 13, 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gershites or the Maccathites, and the, but the Gershites and Maccathites dwell among Israel to this day. Did they obey God? What did God say? Take out everything, right? Was there, there was no gray area in what God said. God, there was nothing gray. So they, Joshua 16, 10, kind of the same thing. Uh, Joshua 16.10 says, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. So they put to work those who God told them to eliminate. So Joshua 17.13 says, And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not utterly drive them out. So you have a group of people that were to be completely wiped out, you didn't do that because it's hard work. They had to go actually fight, kill, swords, do the whole thing. I mean, it was brutal warfare. But they didn't do it. It was easier, and plus they wanted servants, right? Who doesn't want a couple people mowing your lawn, right? <laughs> Carrying your water, doing your thing, right? Building houses. So they came up with an idea to say, well, it's too much work. Let me go ahead and compromise on what God's told me to do and allow them there, and then I'll make that somehow work out to my good. That never works when you work with God. So the people's apathy started showing up that there was this, this idea that they could not obey God and still be okay. Um, and, you know, I think I see a lot of Christians today that same way, where God has called you to be holy. He's called you to, to stand out, to be separate among the people, to shine your light and be different. 
Yeah, you should be where people in your life know that you are saved and a Jesus follower. If there's people in your life that don't know that you even know Jesus, that's a problem. That's like the Israelites having not dealing with everything to where you're living a life and you're living halfway and some people know that you're saved and some people have no idea that you even served Jesus or they, they, you've never told them ever. Are you with me? And that's some, some of the church today has grown ap- apathetic they just don't care anymore. They, they get to a certain point in Christendom, and they like it. They get comfortable. It's too hard of work to rid the land, so they just put up with whatever there is in their heart and their soul and mind, and they just leave it there, and they make the best, and, well, I'm just holding on until Jesus comes back. I'm just going to tarry. I'll be okay. He's, he loves me. All the while you're in disobedience. Because God said, drive them all out. Period. He knew they wouldn't. That's why he said, if you don't, they're going to be a thorn in your side and mess you up. And then they're going to draw you back to idolatry. And because they're going to keep their foreign gods and their dysfunctional thinking, their lies, all their their, um, messed up ways of seeing life, Right? That's what we do, right? As Christians, we get saved, we get rid of some stuff, we keep some dysfunctional thinking in our minds, in our hearts, we believe truths that aren't true, they're actually lies, but we believe those lies as truths in our life, and it messes all up, and we wonder, why as a Christian I'm having all these problems? Why I'm suffering in all these different ways? Well, get rid of them all. Clean house. It takes effort. It is work. People say, well, you know, we sing songs. Lord fights my battle. He does with you. We sang a song today. He'll tear down every wall or tear down every lie, right? He'll help you tear down every lie. God in your life is only going to go as far as you want him to go. Because God is truth. Truth doesn't set you free. You've got to know the truth. It sets you free. When you, lo- when you know truth, you come into alignment with God's truth, it sets you free. God can come stand here all day, but until you come into agreement with him and alignment with him and surrender your heart, the power of truth isn't going to be relevant to you. Because he's given you that free will, that heart that says it's going to be a battle your whole life. Your whole life, it's going to be a battle because your heart can be a lot of things. And we'll get to that in a second. I want to uh, close this section with Joshua's call to action because I want you to get this idea of who we are. In Joshua 24, 16, and now this is kind of at the end of Joshua's life, right? He's, he's led, he's done great things. The, 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 the land's theirs, but listen to what he says. He says, so the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods, right? So these are the people talking to Joshua, right? Saying, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods, right? They're they're saying that present time, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to serve other gods. For the Lord your God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Many Christians, when you're saved, you get, you get brought up out of that bondage in that land. 
who uh, did those great signs in our sight, preserved us in all the way that we went up among the people and through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites that dwelt with us to this land. We also will serve the Lord God, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is holy, a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do harm and consume you, and, and after that he has, if you've done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Look at verse 23. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and incline your heart to the God of Israel. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait a minute. You just said we're not going to turn from the Lord and serve God. We commit to God. We want to follow him. And then Joshua has to end the sermon by saying, okay, so put all the foreign idols in your houses. Go throw them in the trash. Because as they were saying they weren't going to turn from God, they were in the state of turning from him. They were practicing idolatry while they're speaking out of their mouth. That's why Jesus says, oh, your lips speak it, but your hearts are far from me. And they did it, and I'm telling you, people, there's people in church today that say they want to serve God, and they proclaim to be a Christian, but their hearts are full of idols. Their hearts are full of lies that are controlling parts of their personality and their being and their life, and they don't want to admit to it. Oh, I want to serve God. I were, if I lift my hand, I'm going to sing this song, and it's going to make everything good. No, it's not. You've got to get your heart in alignment. This is about surrendering every part of your heart. You know what true worship is, is when you say no, and you say, no, I'm not going to put up with these idols anymore. You're going to kick the idols out. Then you're going to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for letting that idol back in, or I'm sorry, God, for letting that thought in my heart again and, and, and meditating on it. I'm sorry, God, for believing that lie about who I am when you said I'm this way and I'm believing a lie that's opposite. Forgive me, Lord. That's when true worship happens. But as in the old days, they, Joshua said, get rid of the foreign gods among you, which are among you. Are there foreign gods among you today? You might not have an idol in your house. You may not be having seances. I hope not. But you may have idolatry in here. You may have a thought in your heart that you've believed about yourself that isn't true and not in alignment with God and you've refused to kick it out and you've left it there and it's become your belief system about how you believe who you are some of you are suffering with things uh, you know depression or what it may be and and most if not all of that has roots that go deep into the heart about who you believe God to be, what you think God thinks about you, others, and himself. And I'm telling you, an undivided heart. You know, God's called us to have a, a, a one heart, right? God's called us to not have division in our heart. You know, he said in Psalms 86, David said, Teach me your ways, O Lord. I walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You know, and if you look at the heart, there's almost 178 references in the New Testament alone to your heart. And if you look at other certain verses, it divides. There's the soul, there's, there's the spirit of man, there's your mind, 
and then they have the heart as well. So we have this, you know, I ask myself, you know, what is the heart really? I mean, it's not our spirit. The heart's really not our mind all the way. And it's not really our soul, like that's the whole area. And then it's, it's almost like it, it almost meshes in with our will. Because if you, it's funny, if you read the, um, if you just go through your references and look at heart, some references of heart are, you know, take heart, like take courage. But all, most of them are about your actual heart where Jesus says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. But then he also talks about, blessed are those who are pure in heart. And if you go through, you'll see a prideful heart, a humble heart. You'll see a heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You'll see a doll heart, you'll see a, a hard heart and a tender heart. You'll see a, a heart full of doubt, you'll, you'll see a heart that's believing. You'll see a heart with love, or you'll see a heart with hate. You'll see a heart with, uh, that's darkened heart, and you'll see a heart that's enlightened. You'll see a blinded heart, and you'll see a heart that's able to see. And as I was looking at all these this last week, and it was like, man, this heart is a tricky little guy. Because he can be almost anything he wants to be. He can be utterly evil, but he can be awesomely godly. And here we have this this great task to guard our hearts. We have this great commission from God to surrender it to him. Because sometimes we think when we get saved, God just, and then our heart's pure and happy and we're, we're perfect. But we all know that's not true. We all know we live, we, we experience failure, we mess up, we, have, we fight doubts, and our heart's always being tugged here and tugged here and tugged up there and down there, right? And we're the ones that have to tend our hearts. We're the one that has to guard it. You know, in your notes, sir, I put the heart is a battleground. And I want to share something with you about the heart in closing is this is that the heart, we know, is like soil. It has been illustrated or to look like soil. But the heart is something pliable that can change and morph and be renewed and be deceived, can be enlightened. And I see it as this pathway, and I want to read some scripture, and then I, I have a little illustration. I hope it works, but... I asked the Lord, I go, this, do you like this? And he says, I actually like it. You can believe that or not, I don't, I don't really care. But, <laughs> but he says, yeah, I like it. I think you're on the right path. I'm like, All right. So listen to this in, uh, in Matthew. Um, I forget which chapter. I did put the chapter on there. But it's the, it's the parable of the sower. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the, what was sown on thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for the one who sows on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. 
He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, another thirty. So we see this cool analogy with the heart of it being like a, um, kind of like a, a ground. It can be a good ground, it can be rocky, there can be thorns, there can be bushes, um, and I'm going to get ready here. So... You remember that scripture in um, Genesis 3? What happened in Genesis 3? Anyone know? It was the fall. Remember after the fall and they got in big trouble, right? Right? And so what did God, what did God say to the other? Some people think it was the Holy Spirit. Um, he said, Adam and Eve, they, they know good and evil now. So we got to guard the tree of life. So he put a flaming sword and an angel there, and they couldn't go to the tree of life anymore. And so they had this, um, they had this uh, knowledge of good and evil. And it made me think, you know, I wonder if we still have that. We have the knowledge of good and evil, right? And, and just because we got saved doesn't mean we don't know evil anymore. And it kind of started making me think about the heart, that the heart can, can knows both and is receptive to both, right? And then I started thinking, you ever see those pictures of like the, the spirit and then the soul and then the body, right? The three-part persons, right? You know, and, and the Bible says that the spirit flows like a living water and it says out of the belly shall flow rivers. So I picture the spirit, my spirit man living here. And then, of course, I, I picture this, you know, my heart, not physical heart, but really my heart, too, my will, my, all that soul area, my, my will, my, um, some of my emotions and my, my mind kind of connects in there. And, and I, I started thinking about what the heart looked like and where it was placed and all that. And so I want to show you something. Um, go ahead and can the lights. And uh, when we were born... Um, when we were born, uh, Adam and Eve, right, have, uh, they were walking in the garden. And I want you to picture this thing. This is a bowl, and I, and I wish it was a better illustration, but there's lots of light in here. And, uh, and this, I want you to picture this thing right here, this cover. This is going to be our heart, okay? Now, the light is the Spirit of God, right? God says, I am light. There is no darkness in him. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they got the light turned off, right? What did it say? They died spiritually, correct? Okay, so turn the lights back on. And what happened is they got the knowledge of good and evil. This peanut butter. <laughs> kind of gross, right? So... They, you know, oh, shoot. It had to go on right now, didn't it? Stop. <laughs> Stop. Thank you. So this is all over, right? And so, and I, I chose the brown, not because it looks like a diaper exploded, but soil. Okay? Just bear with me. I know this is kind of boring for some of you, but it's fun for me because... It's fun to put your fingers in stuff. Um, 
And so, but now that we have the knowledge of good and evil, um, it, it put a film right above our spirit man. My, my son had one of these when he, you know, I remember opening up his diaper. And, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know the blowouts out the back. You've all had them. I know, right? But what a, it's funny, when you're parenting, you don't really care about that stuff. It doesn't, okay, this isn't going to be perfect, but close enough. Gross. So I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I want to give you guys a good picture so this will help you grow spiritually. Because see, when, you can turn the lights off again. So when, um, you can kind of see the glow, which is kind of good. But what happened at salvation is the light was turned back on in you and me. Okay? And in that, in that spirit realm, that cavity, that place where God dwells, your spirit and his spirit became one, pure, holy, and righteous, okay? But because of sin in the world, even though we were saved and were free from the penalties of sin, the bondage and the leftover residue from sin is still in our midst, okay? And so because of that, um, the light can't shine through. I mean, it's shining a little, right? I mean, you know that this, this person right here, they've got a little glow going, right? Are you with me? And so, right in here, I see that as the heart, and then here's your emotions and your mind, and then your body's on the outside. And, and what the goal is, is to have, to get the heart such an alignment with, with the spirit that God's glory can shine right through you to the world. But God said to make sure that we shined our light on a hill so that everyone could see, right? But remember I said that it, we got too focused on works? Remember I said we got focused on, oh, I got to do good works because that's what the Bible says. But, it, but instead, maybe we should work on getting our heart in alignment and then the good works would just be natural. We wouldn't have to focus on doing the good works, right? Because if we adjust our heart and our thinking, right, to what God says, then it's going to be easier to do those works because it's going to be natural, Okay, And so what happens is, as you have this realm in here, you have the Spirit of God who is speaking from here. You have the, the, your mind and your five sensories, right? All your taste, touch, feel, all that stuff, communicating. You have your own thoughts in, your, in, in this realm too. And then you have the enemy, right? And he's in here and he's casting diabolos. We remember, everyone remember what that means? The thought caster, right? We talked about it here before. If you haven't uh, got that, we'll go back and listen to it. But it means diabolos, to throw through, to capture, kill, or injure. That's what that, that word means. Diabolos is the weapon with the three rocks, remember, and you swing it around and you entangle their feet, correct? So when, you, when the enemy speaks at you, he's speaking right here. Because a lot of people say, well, I don't need to deal with demons because they're all gone and I'm perfect in Jesus Christ. And yeah, you are in your spirit. You're holy and righteous in his sight. But you still have a bunch of film. You still have a bunch of old belief system. And you have a bunch of crud, right? Well, because if that's not true, then Jesus said, why is evil coming out of your heart? If they were saved and they had evil in their heart, well, how could that be, right? So you have thoughts flowing through here that are trying to plant seeds in your heart. 
This is the ground. The brown, uh, the, the peanut butter is earth and soil. And so you can take any type of seed. If God says something about you, you can plant it and it'll start growing. And when he does that, a little more light starts shining through, right? A little brightness pops out. You start knowing who you are, that you're a new creation in Christ. And a little light starts coming out. Little by little. But also what happens in Christians, they can be saved, but if they don't believe God's word, and they believe a lie that contradicts what God's word says, that seed of doubt, that seed of not good enough, that seed of self-hate, that seed of unforgiveness, that seed of bitterness, right? Are you with me? gets dropped into the soil of the heart. And if the heart believes it, whatever's in the heart comes out the mouth. Whatever's planted here will be produced out into your life. So this becomes the battleground of your life. This becomes the battleground of your promised land because the goal is if you can get the more light to shine out, more white beams coming out from the Spirit of God, which is you getting an alignment in your thinking about who God is, then you can have more of God's power in your life because whatsoever comes from the Spirit of God brings life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. The more you get in alignment with God's Word, the more you're allowing God the full capacity of your heart to flow through you without any hindrances Don't you want to remove the hindrances in your life? Don't you want the Spirit of God to shine forth out of you so that you could have the glory of God beaming from you? Are you with me? I mean, not just to be a witness, but yes, but to have um, the more alignment you get in with God on believing what's true and planting the right seed in in this soil. Just think if this was all God's seed. Just think if, just think what the, The fruit, remember it says, what's the fruit of the Spirit, Gary? Joy, gentleness. So if if there's fruit of the Spirit, doesn't fruit have to come from a seed? And doesn't a seed have to grow into a plant or a tree? And then doesn't that produce fruit, right? So as we plant seeds of the Word in us, and we believe what God says about us, that seed will grow because we believe it. And we've allowed it in our hearts, we agree with it, and it starts growing. And pretty soon as you let grow, this whole thing starts, you start wiping off big old chunks of light. Starts beaming, right? And more and more light shines out as you wipe off all this cruddy soil, all the dirt soil that you have caked on your whole life. All the things that you've been believing about yourself that weren't true. Because you know what? The devil and his kingdom wants to keep your heart filtered with dirt, debris, weeds, unhealthy, dysfunctional thinking. In fact, he wants you to keep believing that, yeah, you might be a Christian, but you can't do anything to defeat the enemies in your life. God God wants you to be free. The enemy wants you to stay in bondage. But it's only when you understand this principle that it is your duty, your responsibility to manage this land 
and to drive out every enemy in this promised land so that you can have the fullness of God flowing through you. Are you with me? That is your duty. That is your uh, um, authority as a Christian is to tend your garden, is to make sure you know what's growing in your heart. You have to manage that. God's not going to come in and start plucking weeds for you. Did you hear me? God's not going to come and start plucking the weeds for you. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means that you have to partner with the Holy Spirit. You have to dive in and find the roots and the seeds in here that are ungodly and get rid of them. God could say about this, whatever your name is in here, God says to you, this is your land. I have promised you this. I have given it to you. My son has paid the price for this. This is your land. I want you, all of you, to go into this land. And I want you to take out every enemy of the cross. And I want you to execute judgment on every lie, every foul spirit, every concept that does not agree with God. I want you to rid your heart. And when you choose that, you're declaring war against the enemies of your heart. But you have to make the choice. In fact, the heart is such an interesting layer in your being that it's going to be this way till you breathe your last breath. This isn't about going to heaven or not. The light's on. You're going to heaven. Chill out. <laughs> but how you spend the rest of this life while you're alive and the training that you get Removing the bad seeds while you're still alive is key in your development as a daughter or son of the Most High God. God is not concerned about more so this life on earth. This is a pre-show event. This is a practice. The real thing is coming when we rule and reign with Him forever and ever and ever. We are kings and priests, guys. We are co-heirs with Jesus. And so this practice of taking your land is preparing you to be not only who you should be here on earth more and more every day, but who you're going to ultimately be for eternity. I'm telling you, church, and this is the key in our, in our series on I Declare War. This is the key of understanding spiritual warfare. Because here's what happens. A demon speaks, and when you hear it, you hear it as a thought. And that thought comes in here, into this realm. And then you have the choice. Am I going to believe that statement, or am I not going to believe it? Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. You have the choice. If you believe that thought, the enemy gets to go and drop a seed right here because you believed it. When you come into an agreement with a thought that is ungodly, you give that thought power and authority to be in your heart. So that seed drops in and starts getting roots, and the more you believe it and don't deal with it, it keeps growing and growing and defiling and spreading the Bible says, don't let the root of bitterness spring up. It'll go all over and get you crazy. Don't, don't keep unforgiveness in your heart because then I'll send tormentors to come and torment you until you pay back every penny. Don't let seeds drop in. And so when an enemy gives a thought in here, because what a man believes in his heart, so is he. 
And so you drop this seed down of, of an evil thought, and it starts manifesting, and you get several others, and pretty soon, eh, you're still saved, you still got the light on, but man, you're not being a very good light. In fact, when darkness starts growing, it starts covering the light. It starts blocking out the light. You become less effective as a light bearer the more lies you believe. Are you with me? And so deliverance is simply recognizing the lie, repenting from believing it and coming into a relationship with an idol, commanding it to be detached and leave, and as you speak to the mountain and say to it, be removed and cast to sea, it shall be done. Ask anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be done. Don't let the devil have any space in your life. Don't let the sun go down with anger. These are all warfare verses that talk about detaching and not allowing the enemy to seed in your heart. So if this is true, and this guy's a Christian because he has his lights on, Does there a demon that needs to be kicked out? If that person believes in their heart a lie and has idolatry in their heart, do you want to kick him out or do you want to keep him like the Israelites did? The Israelites kept him. Oh, let's, let's have him serve us. You know, that thought's not that bad. Come on, do we really need to kick him out? Let's just keep him. He's not doing much harm. Your decision. But I want you to to leave today with, I don't want you to be, I want you to learn a new perspective of, of spiritual warfare because the enemy doesn't have, there's no power. There's influence. But his power is only what you give him. Your only power is by allowing him to stay by believing what he says is true. If you believe what the enemy says is true, you give him authority and power to come in your life and to influence you. You might be mildly influenced by hell, or you could have a lot of attachments. If you're believing a lot of lies, you're going to be more severely influenced by hell. You can call it whatever you want. You can say that they're not really there. You can make up all the stories you want to not deal with reality, or you can say, you know what? I'm going to deal with reality, and I'm going to start addressing my heart as if it really mattered to me, as if it were that important, because I tell you, this heart, what you do in this heart determines what kind of Christian life and Christian you're going to be. It also determines the glory and the power that's going to proceed proceed from you as a Christian in this world. You want more of God in your life? Allow it. You want more power in your life? Get rid of some lies. Start believing and trusting God and his word that it's true. No matter what you see, no matter how you feel, no matter what someone else may tell you. Trust God. You want more of God in your life? You want the glory to shine? You want people healed, set free? Then it's your choice in your life to start doing work in your garden and start managing what you're allowing to grow there and what you need to go in and uproot and pull out and throw away and burn. Let's pray. Father, we love you.
Lord, um, thanks for taking uh, this crude example and somehow by your spirit making it shine some light on someone's heart just a little bit. Lord, it's only by your spirit that we can grasp any concept in your word. It doesn't matter what we do, what we say. Without your spirit, it's worthless. So God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take what was taught here today and take your word that was spoken and make it alive and active in our hearts. Help us to see things about our heart that we haven't seen before. Help us to care about what we're planning in our hearts, God. Give us a conviction, God, of what we've allowed to grow in the most precious place of a heart that you've given us, this, this free will to love you, this, this, the knowing of good and evil, God. You've given us this free will, Lord, and we ask, God, that you would help us manage our garden, that you would help us go in and make a, a, a forceful effort, God, to go in and clean up. There's some people in here that need a spring cleaning, God. There's people in here that haven't dealt or even looked at their heart in an honest way for a long time. And they've allowed concepts about themselves, belief systems about others, and God to grow and fester, and it's become a mess that's blocking your light. So God, I ask right now, by your Spirit, that you would convict our hearts. Show us what to do. Start revealing this week to us some of the things and weeds we need to pull out. Lord, we don't want to be like the Israelites of old and have you come and say, guys, throw out the idols in your house. Why are you saying you're a Christian and have all this junk living in you? Lord, we want to be your light on a hill, shining so that all men could see not just the good works, but the good works that result of your glory shining out of us. Because it's only by your glory shining out of us that we're able to do anything good. So God, help us to clear some space for you. If you're here this morning and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you've never actually got the light turned back on, that's what you need to do first of all. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your heart, the Lord of your life, and you want that light turned on, you've got to repent of your sin and ask Jesus to come and live inside you and give you a brand new one. So if that's you this morning and you want to be saved, you want to make Jesus your Lord, if that's you and you've never done that before, would you raise your hand? And I'm just going to do a simple prayer with everybody. If that's you, raise your hand up. Anybody in the room, never asked Jesus in their life, and you want to make a brand new commitment to him for your first time, is that you? Anyone here this morning, I want to give that opportunity. All right, God. Everyone in this room has the light on. So that means everyone in this room needs to start tending their garden so that they can start walking in their destiny. So Lord, I pray an anointing on them to get the right tools to go do the work that they need to do on their heart and stop making excuses of why you're letting things grow and start pulling some weeds. You know, there's a great feeling when you 
or right in the middle of pulling weeds and you start seeing a difference in your garden. So take courage for you that feel overwhelmed with what's in your heart. Be of courage, be of good cheer. God's got you, he's got a plan and you're gonna start pulling those out and in a, a few weeds that you pull out, you're gonna start seeing some light turn on and that's gonna excite you and motivate you and you're gonna start seeing, wow, why didn't I start doing this earlier? Man, I wish I would have started this whole process years ago, but it's never too late, guys. So Father, anoint them to do the work that you've called them to, and we'll give you all the glory for all the healthy gardening that's going to take place and all the blessing that's going to be bestowed on other people because we're tending our garden. Lord, let your glory go to others in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Love you guys. Um, I hope that ministers to you. We're going to stay in this series on declaring war and learning how to do this. We first need to learn how to do it in our own lives before we can help others do it in their lives. So let's enjoy the time. Keep praying. Keep reading your word. And let's uh, take Jesus to everywhere we go. Amen? Amen? All right. Give someone a hug before you go. We'll see you next week.